Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us in this broadcast. We're trying to answer the question, what should we do? What should we do in the midst of the crisis right now that's going on in the Catholic Church? And this is part three of a series trying to answer what to do in the crisis. And so far in the first two episodes, I haven't gotten beyond my primary recommendation. And guess what? I feel a very distinct need to return to the primary recommendation today before we move on to some other secondary recommendations. But the bottom line is that I advocated developing a thorough knowledge of what is called the great apostasy. And to do this through a combination of scripture, approved church documents and church catechisms, by plural, I mean the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Catechism of Trent, and papal statements. I'm not talking about apocalyptic novels or even apparitions, which are private revelations. I'm talking about approved church teaching. And here's why I want to bring this up again. I, probably just like you, have read countless articles and blog posts and watch YouTube videos and broadcasts, and it's basically, um, at least those who are taking this seriously, everything is horrible, but everything will eventually work out fine. We've had bad popes and bishops in the past. We'll get new good ones in the future, or the church goes through 500-year cycles, or whatever. <laughs> and that's about 99% of what I am reading. And I believe that outlook is deeply flawed. And let me give you an Exhibit A, and I'm not going to pick on anybody by name. I don't like to do that anyhow. And this particular person who wrote this, I consider a friend. He's very traditional. He is a writer. He attends very faithfully the Latin Mass, and he's about as conservative a Catholic as I know on earth. And this is what he said, quote, these are dark times indeed, and I think everybody would agree with that, but they say it's always darkest just before dawn, and I see so much light on the horizon now that I know it simply must be the beginning of a new day, unquote. I vehemently disagree with that statement. Now, I am not saying a new day is not on the horizon. What I am saying, in very direct contradiction to about 99% at least of the articles I've read in the blog posts and the broadcasts and the articles along with this statement, everything could work out just fine. There could be a new day, a new dawn right around the corner, but I don't know how any person can know that. Let me give you two possible scenarios, and I believe we should hold both of these scenarios in tension. 
first of all, the beginning of a new day, which my friend wrote about, uh, it could be. I don't disagree with that. I disagree with him saying, I know this. It simply must be. That's where I disagree. And actually, my knowledge is probably deficient here as a Catholic convert. I have studied quite a bit in my theological training church awakenings from a Protestant perspective. Spent a lot of time in things like the Great Awakenings here in the United States, which left its imprint very strongly in the formation of our country, particularly the First Great Awakening. And then you had the Second Great Awakening, and you had things like, you probably never heard of this, but the Cane Ridge Revival. It was out in the middle of the country, a bunch of very, um, what shall I call, non Pentecostal Presbyterians, very non-Pentecostal Presbyterians, were having a communion service in the middle of nowhere, and people started showing up from on covered wagons from all over the place and eventually became what's been termed America's Pentecost. And this was totally unexpected in the middle of nowhere. And then there was the revival amongst the Confederate armies during the Civil War. I personally have been deeply touched by the Jesus movement. Now, I didn't stay there, but I can remember in 1966, the Time magazine cover announced, God is dead. And then I kind of went along with that, my personal lifestyle, and then I met the Lord, or I should say the Lord met me quite unexpectedly while I was serving in the Navy. I really didn't even know the theological terms, what exactly had happened to me, but almost everybody on my ship, and there were several hundred guys on this ship, knew that Wood had some kind of encounter with Jesus, and all my shipmates knew it. And I was sitting there working in an office, and a friend came and said, hey, Woody, look at this, and he held up a Time magazine. This was now in 1971, and the cover said, the Jesus Revolution. And then he took off running, and I chased him all over the ship trying to find what was happening. And lo and behold, I, I found I wasn't alone that there were hundreds, no, I shouldn't say hundreds, thousands upon thousands of young people lost into the uh, counterculture, lost into the, the mixed-up world of the 60s, finding the Lord in a deep and profound way. So I know firsthand from what I have seen, that the God who rose from the dead after everybody thought the future of the kingdom of God was over and kaput on Good Friday, he rose from the dead, and he can raise the dead on the second coming when he comes back for us. He will literally raise the dead, and any God who can do that is fully and completely capable of renewing the church. So, there is a possible future. What 99% of the articles, the blogs, the broadcasts, and everything else are saying, it is entirely possible. There is a future, not a just a new day, but a bright new day. God is capable of that, and we should hope and pray for that. But on the other hand, there is a second possible future, and this is being 
ignored, except for maybe 1% of those blog post articles, broadcast, and opinion columns that are going on. They're just ignoring the possibility of what Jesus warned about, what St. Paul warned about, what St. Peter, St. John, St. Jude, the prophet Daniel all sternly warned about, namely this. In the final days of history, there will be a great apostasy. Instead of a new dawn, the world will get dark, and then it'll even get darker than what you and I could possibly imagine. And there's a whole string of papal warnings that have come out consistently ever since Pope Leo XIII's vision in the late 19th century of Satan having an attack on the church and he's calling up St. Michael the Archangel. There are two possible futures. I would just like you to say, and like to challenge you right now, that the next time, and I am receiving emails with links to articles and all of this from friends around the country, and again, 99% saying, just hold on, everything's going to work out fine. I hope it is, but when you get one of those, this is what I'm going to start doing, is replying, I hope and pray that that is true, but have you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 lately? It's not in any of the Sunday readings, and so you probably never heard it. In fact, you just need to read the first 12 verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about the great apostasy. Have you read it lately? Have you ever read it? I would recommend reading it about 12 times, 12 verses, 12 times, because it's the second possibility that so many are discounting. And why am I so insistent on this? Because if you are woefully unprepared, waiting for a new dawn, when perhaps a new and even deeper darkness than what we're encountering right now, which is rocking the faith of so many people, there could be massive falling away from the faith. This is exactly what the attack of Satan on the church, that was the whole plan. And Satan basically telling God is... Uh, Pope Leo XIII saw in this vision that, you know, if he, he would have at the church for a century or about that period of time, he could defeat it. And we have the capabilities of withstanding literally hell on earth. If the abyss opens and from the pit of hell, this demonic attack, this satanic attack comes upon the church, and it goes from bad to worse and even darker beyond our ability to comprehend at this point. Even if that would occur, God has given us means of grace to sustain our faith and weather that storm. But if we're just thinking it's sunny weather ahead, we don't have any training. We don't have any expectation of anything that's could get worse than what we're finding out, well, then I believe we're in very deep trouble. So my primary advice that's being ignored by 99% of the crisis commentaries is pay attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
not their opinions, not their hunches, not some apocalyptic novel, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then listen to the papal statements about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I gave them to you in the last episode. If you need to get a copy of those, just write Ask the Host at gmail.com. We'll get a copy of those. And then I also gave you the relevant sections in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which explicitly warns that before Christ returns, we're going to go through a very troubled time. We don't know when that time will be. I don't know if we're in that time. I dare say that we are in an apostasy, a falling away from the faith. It's pretty evident if you've read anything lately. But The question is, is it the great apostasy? I don't have any means of knowing that. And I don't know if anybody writing these commentaries seem to be even aware of such a thing. I hear of all kinds of opinions and based on all kinds of thoughts and everything else, but don't hear much about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Only 12 verses that could be the key to understand one of two distinct possibilities for our future. Now, what do you do in either case? In other words, if it's a new dawn ahead, how do we get there? And if it's B, if it's the great apostasy, how do we withstand the assault on the faith? And I've already given this out by hint and in sense, Since 1992, this is precisely what I have dedicated my life to do. This is what faith and family broadcasts are designed to do. This is what our broadcast, Luke 21 Radio on Biblical Prophecy, is designed to do. This is what our outreach to Catholic fathers is designed to do. If it is an apostasy or the great apostasy, and we want to get to the end, then you build a family arc. The wider culture is gone. The United States of America is gone. And I don't know, what, why are you saying that? Are you unpatriotic? No, not at all. This is the best country, in my opinion, that there ever was in the entire history of mankind. Boom, period. No, nobody's even in second place. But here's how I make that evaluation about our country is gone. The civil part of our society is gone. There are two pillars that hold it up. One is the sanctity of life. And on January 22, 1973, that pillar, the sanctity of life, that part of our culture, life itself, particularly babies reflecting the image of God, that pillar was officially sanctioned by our government and ripped out, and by an oppression by the federal government on the states, knocked out any state laws forbidding abortion, and the sanctity of life was gone. That's one of two pillars that hold up a society. Yes, a society can go on for a while, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but the second pillar is another sanctity and it's the sanctity of marriage. And again, marriage, like the sanctity of life, reflects God. Our whole relationship to God is styled in Scripture in marriage imagery. The first miracle that Jesus did 
was at a wedding. The last chapters of a Bible talks about the church being unified with Christ as a bride and bridegroom meeting. And on June 26, 2015, that second pillar of our entire society was knocked out by an oppressive federal government requiring states to recognize same-sex so-called marriage. So the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage are gone. That means we are in a terminal condition. Now, you can have terminal cancer, and it has spread so far through your body, the doctors say there's no longer anything we can do for you, and you can go home. You could live for a while, but you're going to die. And that's the situation our country is in. Now, we could have a national revival and restore the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. But while these two pillars are gone, we're gone. And there's a very frightening part of Scripture that God says he was going to go in the Old Testament and extinguish the Amorites. They were going to be gone, but he says their cup is not yet full. Their cup of immorality they have chosen. This is their culture's morality that they have defined for themselves, and now they're filling it up. And the frightening thing, unfortunately, you know, God doesn't come in and intervene when it's quarter way up or halfway up. He waits till it gets full. And then when the abominations are full, it's over. And the greatest empire in the ancient world, the empire of Babylon, they thought their city, their capital, was such a strong defense that it almost didn't need guarding. The walls were so thick you could drive a chariot around the top of the walls, and it fell in one night. So what do you do if you're looking for the church at this point of history? We are in a crisis the ecclesiastical life in the Catholic Church right now is in full crisis mode. I know there's a few begging to differ, but there's, I would say, the majority of Catholics faithful to the Church are waking up to the nightmare that we're facing before us. And in civil society, well, you know, we've kind of accommodated ourselves. Yeah, they're still slaughtering millions of babies, but life still goes on. And yeah, now homosexuality is out of the closets being paraded in front of our eyes by the media and promoted by laws and lawsuits and everything else. But we'll make it. We'll go on. No, folks. The cup has been chosen and it's filling up. And when it's full, watch out. In the meantime, you build a family arc. The wider church and the wider civil culture are on very self-destructive paths. And how do you turn all that around? Well, you are involved in the civil arena. You vote. You care about what happens. You certainly try to correct what's going on in our church. But in the meantime, you don't lose sight of building a family ark. You're not looking for the Calvary to come over the hill. Uh, either the next presidential election cycle or the next who knows what um, petition or something like that. Now, those things aren't going to be causing 
the change. Wearing certain colors of clothes and a mask isn't going to bring the change to the church we need. You need to put some focus on building an ark. The whole world in the ancient world had lost it. It was becoming corrupt to the point that it needed extinction except for eight individuals. That's what you call in the Old Testament a very great apostasy. And what what do you do in such a time? Hebrews 11 and verse 7, by faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes by faith. You know, petitions are great, and um, writing letters to people whose minds are darkened might work, but there's a good chance they might not. But if God has put children and grandchildren in your life, that's where to put your prime focus. That's what to concentrate on right now. And specifically, as you've heard me uh, many times mention, fathers are absolutely essential. The other apostasy, so to speak, going on in the neighborhood of the Holy Land 4,000 years ago, there were two men, uh, Abraham and Lot. Uh, Lot basically married himself to a culture in Sodom that was going to be extinguished. Very wealthy, very prosperous, but it was going to be extinguished. And God came on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and stopped to visit Abraham in Genesis 18. And it says, because he is going to instruct his family to follow the way of the Lord, to walk in righteousness. In other words, these aren't religious facts. He's gonna give them a little textbook and say, hey, do this for 45 minutes a week. No, he's going to model for his family, for his children and his grandchildren, and even those who are serving in his household, what it means to follow the Lord, even when the next neighborhood over is literally on their way to hell. That's what kept his family all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. And Abraham was one of the descendants of Noah, who also lived through a crisis. It's godly men who focus on building that family ark. And I don't have time. I'm just trying to kind of open the door to what to do. But we have a website, dads.org. I've written two books on fatherhood, getting ready for marriage. We've got dozens of CDs sitting downstairs. There's all kinds of resources we have built up over the past couple of decades for you to build a family ark. Now it's time to listen, to heed, and act. And you do that, your faith and the faith of your children can survive. Some practical things along with building that family arc. You need to get your kids out of the public schools. I find it so aggravating that I have to pay taxes for teaching kids about transgenderism and homosexuality before they even hit first grade. This is atrocious, okay? And children are not equipped to deal with that level of immorality 
uh, childhood by its very nature is to have a, a period of innocence. And it's gotten to the point that you need to protect your children and say, oh, you're going to abandon the public schools. That's right. They have abandoned all forms of Christian morality. They have even abandoned some levels of pagan morality, and they're descending to depths that you don't want your children exposed to. And right along with that, you say, well, just put my kids in the parochial school if you can afford them, and that's getting difficult to do. Uh, One of the things I did in our Worldview series, which is also one of the things you need to do, uh, you need to build the worldview, which is actually as important as I tried to show you for preserving morality as it is teaching the faith through catechisms and scripture, because worldview determines your whole outlook on morality. It's the fundamental thing, and worldview begins at the beginning. It begins who made the world. And if you're depending on a Catholic school teaching theistic evolution to get your child through what we're passing through right now in the world, uh, you're delusional, and they're delusional. It's not going to make it. I'm sorry. I know some people will get upset for my saying this, but at minimum, your children need to know about intelligent design and scientific reasons why God made the world so as they grow in their learning, it's in harmony with their faith, not in disharmony with their faith. And the other thing you may consider is homeschooling, because homeschooling, as Dr. Mary Kay Clark of Seton Homeschool, a good organization, has said many times, homeschooling is more about home than schooling. Actually, it has transformed the home. It brings a certain function back into the home. You know, today, Everything you do with kids, you get in a car. If they play sports, you got to get in a car. You used to play at home. If you work, you know, 150 years ago before the Industrial Revolution hit, you generally worked pretty near home. You didn't get in the car. And if you wanted to learn about the faith, at least you should have been able to learn about it at home. You don't have to get in a car to do that. In other words, yes, you can get in a car, take advantage of those things, but you want to bring something home. And what homeschooling has done, more than transforming children in their faith, is transform their parents, who are God's transformers of children, to grow up as strong Catholics, to withstand the storm or the sunny new day. Whichever option God brings our way, you will be prepared. I have some other things to mention to you as we go into our next episode and what to do during the present crisis. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 210 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.